Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are uh, go for launch. Welcome back everybody to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are back with you with another episode. Uh, I'm kind of liking this routine we're getting into of coming at you every week. And uh, once again, what else are we going to do at this point? Uh, I am Terry Plucknett, your host. With me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. Uh, how's it going this week, guys? Same shit. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Zach, were you as disappointed as I was realizing that this week we really should have been in movie theaters watching Apollo 13 on the big screen? Well, I told you that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I texted you and I said that a low-key, like, top five worst thing about this coronavirus is no Apollo 13 in theaters. Also, incidentally, Clueless was scheduled to come back to theaters, too, this month. So, I mean, talk about terrible timing. I realize there's a lot of tragedy out there, but, man, that that's a, that's a major loss. Yeah, I don't really care as much about Clueless, but Apollo 13, man... I mean, yeah, 25th anniversary of the movie, 50th anniversary of the mission. Um, I, I was putting some stuff out on Facebook as uh, as we were going along. April 13th was the day of the explosion, and then a couple days ago was the anniversary of them actually returning. And there's been a bunch of stuff on that NASA's been posting this week. Man, it would have been cool to see that movie in, on the big screen. Hopefully it's not the last chance we get. Well, it is kind of interesting that our, you know, Jim Lovell, great diplomat to outer space, Tom Hanks as Jim Lovell, and, and Tom Hanks is our diplomat to coronavirus. It's true. There, there's some sort of connection there, right? Or am I stretching it? No, I'll, we can go with it. I, I don't think anything is a stretch at this point. Um, did, did any of you guys see the, uh, the Saturday Night Live at home last week? Uh, where they did uh, did the whole Saturday Night Live over Zoom. Yeah, that was, and, that was uh, painful. And Tom Hanks was the host. That was painful yeah, to watch. It, I did not. It was it was it, it was a little rough, but uh, hey, you can't you can't blame them for trying to put something out. So anything is better than NBA horse, though. That shit was <laughs> a complete waste of time. Well, there was an uh, FS1 trivia game that was uh, Jeff Gordon against Brady Quinn in sports trivia. That was, I mean, it was pretty bad. It was kind of entertainingly bad because Jeff Gordon is terrible at trivia. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of thing we're stuck with. And today I was watching competitive Tetris. I mean, this is just, I mean, I'm hitting all-time <laughs> lows here. Yeah, I was watching I, Oklahoma, Texas from 1998, and then uh, FS1 was broadcasting uh, Bull Durham. That, that, that they have to go to Bull Durham really speaks to the utter lack of sports that anyone is interested in watching, I guess. I, I turned on the, uh, last night I turned on the Tuck Rule game. It was on, uh, what was it on? I think it was on CBS Sports. So that was interesting. Yeah, I, I'm really interested with some of this, some of the like uh, like video game simulation of sports that they're doing right now like they've got the players league on mlb the show right now where uh they picked a player from each team that is playing as their team and they're like playing a whole league of uh, playing each other and stuff so i think that's kind of cool 
Uh, they're going to be doing, MLB is doing uh, an all-time bracket this next week, starting this next week, where they picked an all-time roster for each franchise. And they're going to be uh, facing off in a, a 32-team bracket. So it's the 30 teams, and then they have a Negro League all-time team and a current 25 and under all-time team. And uh, they're going to be facing each other. The one problem with the whole thing is they ranked everyone in terms of uh, championships and playoff appearances and stuff. So the Yankees are playing the Mariners in the first round. That it's not going to be good. But, but I mean, hey, game one, I want to see Randy Johnson versus Babe Ruth. I mean, that that's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think Babe uh, saw Mr. Snappy in his day. I, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> can we all just agree yeah. that 1995 was much better than 2020? Like, could anyone have predicted 25 years later this would be the world we live in? I want to go back to the good old days of 1995. The movies, the sports, yeah, the, the Braves won the fashion. World Series. Leaving Las Vegas came out in the theaters. The, Mar- well, the, the Mariners are relevant. That was the Mariners. The Edgar Double. I mean, that was a great year. It's a great year. Didn't the Cowboys win well, the Super be... Bowl though? Did the did they? Well, the did they win that? Yeah, year, but the, the 49ers it... won in January. The Cowboys won. So the the year nineteen ninety five, not that bad. I'm okay. okay with that. I, yeah, I was I was a Niners that fan a, at that point. Steve Young to Jerry Rice, six touchdown passes. That was man. A, that was one of the first Super Bowls I remember watching. Like they, that was one of the best football teams ever. Criminally underrated. That, that was a great. That was a great team. And that that was the one year that Dion was a Niner too. Man, that was that was a ridiculous team. Uh well, uh, we're not gonna be talk. We've talked a lot about '95 so far, but we're gonna be talking more about 2005 in a little bit. But first, uh, Zach, what are you drinking? I, Got the same thing? Sorry to disappoint you. No, I'm, I have something different. Uh, I have some Agua Fria because, uh, as you may know, I partied a little too hard yesterday. And so today I've been on recovery mode. I'm like Fred Hayes on the last edges of the Apollo 13 mission. It is just sickness and, uh, you know, brain asphyxia. And uh, I need some Agua Fria because he was also dehydrated, too. When you land in the South Pacific, it's 80 degrees down there. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Pump out some more kids. <laughs> gotta, get, uh, gotta get that libido going for kid number 10. <laughs> Todd, what do you got? This is the Winchester Straight Bourbon Whiskey, and it is awesome. 90 proof, and it's one of my favorites. Very nice. Very nice. So, uh, so we're trying to support our local businesses as much as possible here, and uh, and so we've been doing a couple a couple nights a week of eating out. And yesterday, we we want to support all of the local businesses, so we went to a local brewery and got a growler filled. So uh, today, I'm I'm drinking from Ridge Walker Brewery in Forest Grove, Oregon, just down the street. This is their uh, their great indoors red belgian ale we thought it was a very uh appropriate beer to be drinking during a quarantine is one called the great indoors because that's where we all have to stay right now oh. so um yeah um i i it might be my first belgian ale i'm not sure but it's got a real uh, or at least belgian red it's got a real weird um just flavor to it i can't put my finger on what it is but it's the first thing that hits you and it's the last thing that leaves you and i don't know what it is but Hey, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. 
I was hoping you were going to get something from, like, Nevada or something, considering what we're watching or reviewing. You know, if they had <laughs> a Nevada beer at that brewery? <laughs> now, everything there, like, they have one beer out of Colorado. Everything else is Oregon and Washington, so. Ah. Um, I'm not complaining. It's good stuff. Uh, the last time I got a growler there, I got their uh, their Scotch Waffles Scotch Ale. That was really good. It was really good. Um, it was better than, than the great indoors, but this one's still good too. Uh, yeah. Anyways, so, uh, so let's get started. We're going to get you caught up on what we've been watching first before we go into our deep dive into, uh, like I said, a 2005 movie celebrating 15 years this month, actually. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching and the best thing we've seen or worst thing. Who knows? Whatever we're going to talk about. Uh, let's start with Todd. All right, considering what we are doing the deep dive of, I decided I would finally go into this uh, four-pack of movies that I have of that director, sort of that director, of what he spawned. And that is the From Dusk Till Dawn movies. Uh, So starting with the first one, which is, of course, about the Gecko Brothers, played by Quentin Tarantino and George Clooney, who are bank robbers trying to get to El Rey, which uh, Rodriguez actually made the name of his uh, television channel. Uh, It's a safe place for fugitives, and along the while, they kidnap a pastor and his family and force them to cross the border with them. I'd forgotten how Tarantino-ish the movie is, honestly. It's uh, sequences of really vintage Tarantino dialogue. It's certainly in that National or uh, Natural Born Killers era of his career. Uh, I think it's kind of brilliant until it gets to the titty twister. Uh, I, I think Tarantino's really good at playing uh, psychos and rapists. He also showed that in Planet Terror. And uh, the vampire stuff, it, it, it works to an extent. It's kind of claustrophobic, but the goriness isn't as uh, as jarring as it used to be. It's it's still a three-star movie. I really like it. The surprise was uh, from Dust Till Dawn 2, Texas Blood Money, which came out a few years later. Um... The main character is played by Dwayne Whitaker, who is, like, the pawn shop owner in Pulp Fiction. He's, like, uh, trying to get to his uh, group of uh, robber buddies who are trying to get the band back together, and he hits a bat with his truck, and then he shoots it, and then he somehow stumbles upon the titty twister, and, like, Danny Trejo's twin is there, and he kind of, like, makes it his thing to, like, torture this group of criminals the rest of the way. It kind of reminded me when I watched Psycho 2 for the first time, like, it's, like, you can't get the first one out of your head, but the like it is like kind of a legitimately decent movie. It's a two and a half star movie. The third one, which is uh, from Dust Till Dawn, The Hangman's Daughter, is not a good movie. It's like a prequel about the about the uh, how the Salma Hayek character in the first one came to came to be. It's like a early twentieth century in Mexico. Uh, it's it's kind of weird. It's like if you put like gory parts into like uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs or something. It's a it's a one star movie. Michael Parks is about the only cool thing in it. But the highlight. No of, one was asking. No one was asking for a prequel to From Dusk Till Dawn. <laughs> right. I mean seriously. What, when I when I started watching it, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> but the highlight of this pack of movies that I have is Full Tilt Boogie, which is a documentary about the making of From Dusk Till Dawn. It's a uh, it 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 really digs deep into like the the people like the art directors and the grips and stuff like that like people who don't, never get the light of day it doesn't treat like tarantino and clooney like gods like they're just like normal people trying to get a movie made they're having to deal with like noise complaints from a motel and uh 
they're, they're like completely non-union, so they're getting harassed by the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees throughout the thing. It, it's 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 really kind of weird. There's also some like bizarre like Me Too type stuff that happened. Like Tarantino tells the camera like Bruce Willis told me on the set of Pulp that I could f any girl on this set if I wanted to, but I don't want to. <laughs> and then and, like uh, the women have like this full on like. Uh, voting on which guy on set has the the best ass like it's really kind of strange and uncomfortable to watch but uh i guess i mean that was the culture back then it seems like uh it's almost like she this lady the director sarah kelly just had she's had her camera on on set and it wasn't supposed to be a movie but uh, put it together it's kind of one of the more fascinating making of documentaries i've seen of a movie as a three and a half star movie so there it is there's my from dusk till dawn full collection review very nice. Very nice. How much did you pay for that? I, it was probably like $5. <laughs> I, I got it probably at least 10 years ago, and I hadn't watched it. So you'd only seen the first one, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I had never actually even opened the pack. like, I, But I had seen the first one uh, elsewhere, but I just had never bothered to watch the sequels. But I, I think... If you if you go into from the first from dusk till dawn not knowing anything about it, it has like it rivals like Parasite for the biggest what the hell moment halfway through. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> like I said, it, it is a Tarantino movie until it hits the titty twister. Until you see, you know, Cheech. <laughs> like uh, it is a. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a uh, I don't. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, and uh, but I think all actually all the From Dust to Dawn movies are on Showtime right now, except the documentary is not. It's like almost impossible to find, but it's on this random pack of movies I have. Very nice, very nice. All right, Zach, what did you watch this week? All right, well, I didn't watch any movies this week because uh, I started binge watching the first season of Ozark. Um, nice. Because Ooh. everyone is talking about Ozark, and you know it's like the number two or three trending thing on Netflix, so I decided to jump in. I, I, I was a little reluctant at first, so I gave the first episode a shot, and I was hooked right away. Uh, this is the most excited I've been about a show in a very, very long time, and uh, I just finished season one. It did not disappoint at all. The premise of Ozark, by the way, if you're not familiar with it, is it stars Jason Bateman and Laura Linney as this married couple, and they have two kids, and they're from Chicago, and Jason Bateman works essentially uh, for uh, a drug cartel laundering money for them, and uh, there's a deal essentially that goes wrong, and he has to transport his family from Chicago to Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri, which is about two hours where I live, woohoo, and uh so he uh, basically has to set up another laundering operation um, while adjusting to the you know the 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 southern redneck culture. It's I, I, it's basically like Breaking Bad meets Northern Exposure, um, and it definitely has the the the, the, the Jason Bateman Laura Linney relationship is very like season four Walton Schuyler. Like Laura Linney is really good at this show at being like really uh, pretty terrible person at times, but also being complicit with what Jason Bateman is doing. There's like a cast of really colorful characters. You know, they share this house with with an elderly man who's who's dying and uh, he has funny pithy comments every once in a while and walks around naked and um, there's also some great supporting performances by Julia Gardner who uh, was in the movie The, the Accountant earlier this year 
or excuse me, The Assistant earlier this year, which I reviewed. And um, yeah, just a really fun supporting cast, exciting show. I'm excited to see where it goes. Like I said, I have not been this excited about a show in a really long time. It's not quite to the level of Breaking Bad yet, but Todd assures me that season three is the best season. So uh, I, I cannot wait. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, nice. it only gets better. Season two is, is it, it gets kind of bonkers, but it's still awesome. But season three is like legitimately amazing. I'll put that on the list. Yeah, I really <laughs> want to go to Lake, Lake of the Ozarks now because, like, it really looks like the show was actually filmed there, which is another thing I appreciate. I kind of like break, how Breaking Bad was filmed in Albuquerque. Like, it looks I think really shot realistic. in Atlanta. Is it? Okay, well, never mind then. Well, but it, and, and it, it plus, looks plus Brad Pitt's realistic. from the Ozarks. He mentioned that in his Oscar speech. That's true. There you go. Not, Terry I don't needs know to watch something... Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, which this last episode and the episode before are as good as anything in Breaking Bad. So, Better Call Saul is officially the best show on TV. Wow. Wow. Okay, well, I, I will say I am working my way back through Breaking Bad. I started from the beginning again because it had been way too long. Um, I think the furthest I've seen in it is like two or three episodes into season three. Anyways, on my watching through it now... I'm halfway through season two. I'm moving along just fine. Just today, I the last episode I watched was uh, was the first appearance of of Saul Goodman, and mm. uh, and um, and you know Badger getting busted. You don't and, need uh, a criminal lawyer. Battle. You need a criminal you need a lawyer. criminal lawyer. lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's a that that's a great episode, and and just the way the whole the whole bust plays out at the end it, it's awesome um so yeah i'm working my way back through that it's it's great i love it um and i watched a couple movies uh one i'm gonna review one i'll just briefly mention so the one i'll briefly mention i didn't do an anniversary movie this week but i did i have a bunch of movies on dvds and blu-rays on my shelf that i still haven't watched that i bought and they're just sitting there so i watched one of those this week so i watched cloud atlas um wow that yes yeah yeah um it it was one of those movies that while i'm watching it i'm like you know what i i I, am i watching am i watching something important i really don't know it feels like it should be or at least the filmmakers think it is uh it's one of those movies you watch it and like this is anywhere from a one and a half to a three and a half star movie i just don't know where um i gave it two stars uh, it it's just a little too little too out there to actually be be interesting, but it keeps your attention the whole time. So there's something to say for that. You didn't but. like futuristic Tom Hanks speaking in the vaguely Creolish language to Susan. Yeah, what Sor- what the hell was that? <laughs> I have no I I couldn't understand a word he him and Halle Berry were saying in that whole part. I have no idea what was going on, no clue. Um, I was reading somewhere it, it's like the most expensive indie movie of all time. Um, yeah, I it's bizarre. And I knew it was bizarre going into it, but I'm like, it's a Tom Hanks movie. I mean, how bad can it be? Well, Tom Hanks, but it's still the Wachowskis and Tom Tickwer. So like, if it's like, okay, the Wachowskis aren't weird enough. Let's add Tom Tickwer in there and let's see how weird we can actually get this. See, um, this, yeah. this like kind of resembles your review of Inland Empire, and you have a different reaction to that. So, right. Well, yeah, I, I, that's I, true. 
True. And like I said, it's one of those movies that can be anywhere from one and a half to three and a half stars. It's just where exactly does it fall? And I I just think this has less going for it than than a film like Inland Empire. But then again, it's been a long time since I've watched Inland Empire. I also remember Tom Um, Hanks in that movie as like a badass bodyguard who, you know, like throws a guy off a balcony. He's not, he's a, he's an author. He's a book author. And he throws his his worst critic off a balcony in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah. He he plays like some Irish thug cockney author that, yeah. My wife walked into the room during that scene and she just looked at the screen and went, oh, oh no no and walked out <laughs> that's actually a decent impression yeah. <laughs> anyways so so there's that the, the movie i'm actually going to review is much better than cloud atlas so one of the things i've been doing um i i've got two little ones in the house i i have limited t- time that i can actually watch something that is you know that isn't for their eyes so a lot of times I just have to have something on that they could view and not get anything bad from. So one of my defaults over the last like month has been Turner Classic Movies. I mean, it's a great default to just turn something on, watch a good classic movie. And, um, and so especially this weekend, uh, the uh, Turner, Turner Classic Film Festival is going on. Um, they had to cancel the in-person one in Hollywood, so they've just been doing it on their on their station. So like this this evening, they had Casablanca on, they had Network on. Uh, they've got a lot of really great movies on right now. Anyways, this was from earlier on in the week, um, and I turned it on because of of two reasons: Gene Kelly and Sid Charisse. I mean, if you see Gene Kelly Sid Charisse movie, you know you're going to be entertained at least. So this movie is called It's Always Fair Weather. It's from 1955. Um, it was. Um, it's this movie about uh, three GIs coming home from World War II that um, decide that as they're as they part ways and go their separate ways and go home, that um, ten years to the day uh, from the last time they saw each other, they're going to come back to the same bar they would always frequent and um, and catch up with each other. And so it's the it, it's the they're rejoining up after these ten years and realizing that they kind of hate each other um but it's kind of it's really interesting um so the three mains are played by gene kelly dan daly and michael kidd um and uh their uh their chemistry is is pretty interesting they go three completely different ways one's like um an owner of a diner one's in like an ad exec and then gene kelly is basically playing gene kelly he's a player he he he's a swindler and all this stuff uh, eventually, along the way, they meet Sid Charisse, who plays um, a uh, producer for a television show that decides they're going to turn. She's going to turn their story into a surprise interview on her television show, um, and uh, it, it's it, it's a really interesting movie. Um, I've seen some Gene Kelly movies that you know it's just kind of all corny and not really anything of substance, but this really has some substance, and it's really interesting to see the interactions between these guys. Um, I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, I love, I, I mean, I could watch Gene Kelly all day. I think he is fascinating to watch and one of the greatest entertainers that we've ever had. Um, and then you add someone that with the entertaining quality of Sid Charisse to it too, uh, that gives it some cred just to begin with, but it also has some heart and some really interesting, 
interesting stuff. Um, since it was on TCM, there was like an intro to it that said that originally they were hoping it could be a sequel to On the Town with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra, but uh, they couldn't get some of the guys together. Sinatra didn't want to do it. Some of the other people didn't want to, so they just switched it and made it its own thing. But uh, but yeah, it's always fair weather. It's uh, I believe it's still streaming on TCM, so if you get TCM on demand, you can uh, watch it on there. But yeah, real, uh, pretty good movie. Uh, if you like the kind of those classic musicals, it's a it's a pretty good one. Three and a half stars. I was not familiar with the movie, but apparently it was nominated for two Oscars. So there you go. It fits your yeah. It fits your list. It it does. It does. There you go. And it's a hey, it's an anniversary movie. Even I didn't even realize that because nineteen fifty five. Yeah, it was nominated for best screenplay and uh, what best music. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Screenplay was nominated at the WGA too. That's pretty cool. So, anyways, yep. So that's that's uh that's what I watched. Zach, have you heard of that one? No, I've not. But I have seen On the Town, and uh, I yeah, those movies don't hold up all that great for me. Unless I had the help of some beverages, maybe. <clears throat> well, yes, that does help. <laughs> As we're going to get into, uh, like right now, because uh, what we're doing a deep dive of today is uh, we're looking at, like I said before, the 15th anniversary this month, actually. So this month, 15 years ago, was the release of Sin City. And we had some really interesting conversations uh, before uh, before this podcast. All of us watched this movie last night. And as we're watching it, we started uh, texting, and I actually got a call from Zach. Honestly, I think it's the first time Zach has called me in like five years. Uh, because once since we've been doing this podcast, we really don't talk on the phone at all. We just talk on the podcast. But um, And so I'm like, oh, oh no. What's Honestly, I was waiting for an announcement that baby salts was going to be on the way. Like, that's what I'm like. Zach is calling me. <laughs> oh, this no. has to be, this has to be serious. No, now. Well, this, was, this is serious. This no, was much more serious. The, the serious was the fact that well, the Zach last time I, I got a Sin call City. from Zach was when Blair Walsh missed the field goal against the Seahawks in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> that was the serious. The last time I got a phone call, I was like, uh. <laughs> so yeah, serious. <laughs> But 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 no, Zach had to had to drink through the rest of his supply of alcohol to make it through Sin City, so we could deep dive it today. Yep. Um, and I I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that after we do some trivia, and uh, and we'll do a review of uh, of what we what we thought of it then in 2005, and 15 years later what we think of it now, uh, before we get into our other deep dive stuff. So, Zach, you get to host trivia uh, on this movie. Um, and, uh, so what are we doing? Okay, well, uh, it, it is trivia, so actually I think we're gonna start, um, with you, Terry. So, Todd, if you could, uh... I'm always second. Go, I will well. unplug and go home. <laughs> okay. Unplug and go home. That's a Rocket Man quote, by the way, Zach. I didn't you don't know, know yeah. I figured yeah, it was either yeah. Band of Brothers or Rocket Man or, uh, Dexter. <laughs> or, or, or Jailbreak, or, uh, Prison Break, excuse me. Okay, so, uh... 
I somehow miraculously came up with nine questions. You know, one of my concerns about this movie was that I wasn't going to come up with trivia. So uh, fortunately, I did rewatch part of it today, and it made a lot more sense watching it uh, sober. So uh, I did. I was able to come up with, uh, somehow, I have nine questions, and it is worth a total of 13 points. So here we go. Okay, question number one. What is the name of Robert Rodriguez's studio that produced this film? Um, I have no clue. It's at the, it's at the beginning, and it's not. Yeah, not I, I, I gathered that. Um, I I don't know. <laughs> okay, the, the correct answer is Troublemaker Studios. It had that uh, explosion in the background. I, I thought it was always a bad oh, badass way to open the movie. I I know what you're I know what you're referring to now. Yeah. Okay. It's like it's like a total like El Dorado moment. It's yeah. What is this movie's rating on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm gonna say like eighty four percent. Okay. Uh, I will wait to tell you the answer to that question after Todd says his, and whoever gets it closer will get the point. Okay. okay. Uh, this is a two-part question, worth two points. What are the first and last words spoken in this movie? Since, you know, you always ask that question, so now I'm going to turn the table and ask you. The last word is trade. No. No, no, it's not. Wait, 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 wait. I said no before you did. Okay. Um, It's, uh, oh, we'll give you a mulligan cigarette. Then. No. Or smoke? No. <laughs> no. Nice try. The first word is... That's almost the last word. I, I now know what you're thinking of. That's almost the last word. It's yeah, not yeah, quite. yeah. Yeah. Uh, the first word is uh, this. That's no. what I'm going with. No. The first word is she. It's spoken by Josh Hartman. Uh, he says she walked into you know the balcony or whatever. Oh, gosh. I should have remembered that. Were... Yeah, because he speaks the first, the first and last word. Uh, no, because see, you, th- he did not say oh. the last line in the movie. You thought he did. That's why you said cigarette. But the actual last line is Alexis Bledel saying, call you back, mom, or I love you, mom. And mom is the last word. Yeah. That's right. I, yeah. All right. So no points for that, but, uh, you know, an A for effort. By the way, th- I think this is the first time I've seen this movie since 2005. So yeah. I don't think any of us are going to do well on trivia. <laughs> Probably not. All right. I tried to make these questions relatively easy, but obviously I didn't try hard enough. Okay. Okay. Uh, who will the police kill if Marv doesn't sign his confession? Uh, his mother. That is correct. Two mentions of mothers in this movie. Uh, okay, you're on the board. This is a two-point question. What two occupations do the Rourke brothers have in Sin City? Uh, Senator and Cardinal. That is correct for two points. Next question. What is Dwight's last name? <laughs> it's not Schrute. It's not Schrute. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's all that's in my head. It's not Gooden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Eisenhower. Uh, Darby. I don't know. No, the correct answer is McCarthy. Oh. I may have known. That sounds... Yeah, I they say it a few times. Now. Yeah, yeah. All right. What is the name of Hardigan's wife? This was mentioned only once. So if you're not going to get Dwight's last name, this one seems unlikely. 
But you never know. Lisa? No, the correct answer is Eileen. Eileen. What is what is Gail, played by Rosario Dawson, what is her specialty? Like some machine guns? No. Good guess. It's like something out of Fox Force 5. Uh, her specialty happens to be knots. Even knots. though okay. when she ties the knot for Mark, oh, he's able right, right, to... Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. That's my specialty. Gotcha. Okay, last yeah. question worth three points. What are the three things Dwight demands for a getaway car or in a getaway car? He's asking for the getaway car. He says, actually multiple times, there are three components to this getaway yeah, yeah. car that he needs. Um, big trunk. Correct. It runs well, or runs. A car that runs. I mean, there's something like that. That won't die on me. Mm. Big trunk. And... I'll give you a half point for that. A decent engine. Okay. Decent engine. Um, and then one more. So, up, up, uh, oh, hard top. That is correct. Good job. All right. So you got a total of five and a half points. It's not terrible. Out of the 18? Out of uh, 13. 13. Okay. Okay, so we're going right. to invite Todd back on right now. Okay. All right. We ask you this every time, Todd, since you're always second, apparently. Do you want to know Terry's score or not? And I always don't care. So. Okay. <laughs> go, go for it. Okay, Terry got... Uh, well, there, there are nine questions for a total of 13 points, and Terry got five and a half points. So well, there's one that's still up for up for. Oh, that's true. Okay, yes, that's true. All right, he might he might have more than that. We'll see. Okay. Oh, okay. So, first question: What is the name of Robert Rodriguez's studio that produced this film? God, I thought this one would be easy. <laughs> it's like the it's one of the first things you see, and the answer is not Miramax. Uh. I don't know. I mean, I, I I'm pretty sure it's not El Rey yet. So, but I'll I guess I'll say that because I really don't know. No, it's not El Rey. It is Troublemaker Studios. Okay. With the explosion in the background. Okay. Next question: What is this movie's rating on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, I'm gonna say it's got uh, 83. <laughs> that is pretty amazing because terry said 84 and the correct answer is 77 so todd gets the point for that just narrowly missed it (laughs) okay for two points two two two-part question what are the first and last words spoken in this movie uh i'm pretty sure the last word is anything and the first word it's like narration, I guess, uh, what, she? She is the first word, correct. Um, Gosh, but I was so much closer on the on the last word. Yeah. I at least had the right scene. That was not the last 
Well, yeah, I don't. What did you say, Todd? And uh, Any, anything like anything a, like a if you walk down the wrong uh, like aisle in Sin City, you can see. Anything. Yeah, you're you're just way off. That's not even. That close. was okay. Wait, that, I mean that's like the first and last scene almost. The last scene in the movie is uh, with uh, Josh Hartnett and Alexis Bledel, and she's on the phone, and she says, "I'll call you back, mom," or "I love you, mom." Mom is the last word. Um, and I said cigarette, because he offers her a cigarette right before she says that. Okay. Yes, Terry almost got it. Okay. Uh, who will the police kill if Marv doesn't sign the confession? Uh, his mother. That is correct. Uh, Two-part question for two points on this question. What two occupations do the Rourke brothers have in Sin City? The Rourke brothers? Yes. There's two of them. They're like the you mean the grandfather and the his son. No, I mean the bro, like not the son, not Nick Stahl, but the so, older gentleman in his family. So Car- Cardinal Rourke and Senator yes. Rourke. Yes, that is correct. I'm pretty sure that's father's son. No, I thought, I thought they said the bro- yeah, I thought they, they, said they brothers. Said they're brothers. Okay. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, either way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take, you'll take the points. Okay, uh, what is Dwight's last name? And don't say Schrute. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. McCarthy. Jackson. Oh. Okay. No. Oh, yeah, McCarthy. Okay, that, I remember that now. What uh, is the name of Hardigan's wife? Leanne? Yeah, you should just give up on that. Uh, <laughs> the correct answer is Eileen. Um, that actually what, wasn't that far off. It wasn't that well, far off. Well, I'll give it okay. that to you. Yeah, there's an L sound. That's true. We both picked the names that started with L. <laughs> I said Lisa. Uh, what? What is Gail, played by Rosario Dawson, what is her specialty? It's like crossbow? No. No, that's, that's, that's the other one. That's the, that's yeah, the that's, Asian girl. That's Miho. And uh, Gail's specialty is knots, even though... Apparently she's not very good at tying knots because Marv is able to <laughs> oh, yeah, get out get of it out pretty of it, yeah. easily. Okay, last question worth three points. It's a three-part question. What are the three things that Dwight demands in a getaway car? When he calls for a getaway car, he says it has to have these three things. Yeah, I don't even... I mean, I could try to guess, but I mean, it'd probably be way off. I mean, the the game is on the line. Uh... All you need is is one correct guess. What, to tie? To, to, no, to, to beat Terry. You're at five. Terry's at five and a half. How did he get a half a point? Oh. Because... This question. This question, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, phony license plates, uh... Uh, neutral color and uh, hit, like uh, the right driver. No, those are three very wrong answers, but I that's okay. <laughs> nice try. Did I just win? Uh, Terry, Terry wins. The correct answer to this question was a hard top with a decent engine and a big trunk. And Terry, somehow, 
Even though he didn't... I got two and a half of those. <laughs> yeah, somehow you, like, missed all five of the first questions, and somehow you miraculously got five wow. and a half, and you are the winner. You're the, you're the Sin City expert. I thought for sure you were going to ask what, what was on Marv's list that he needs to in order to go find Kevin. He, like, goes through, and there's, like, nine things, and he ends with, like, my mitts. <laughs> yeah, and, so like... It's, like, a hatchet, like... A hatchet, uh, yeah. Yeah, rope or something. Rubber tubing and the rubber whatever. tubing. Yeah, yeah that, that would have been a good question. So that's the one you were preparing for, Terry. Did you have a question you were preparing for? Oh, what was I? It's not an easy yeah, movie thought, to pick stuff out of because say... everything's so visual and not like things that you can necessarily like pick out of a whatever. The the one that I that I thought you might say is how many years had Hardigan been on the force? Which was like thirty-five Ooh, years. I don't even remember that. Isn't is it like the like his, the his, his first scene? Like as he's driving, it's in that his opening narration. Yeah, yeah, that, that was yeah one of the first scenes that he's in. Yeah, he says that. It's like his last day on on Force or whatever. When he finds Nancy. All right. Well, I win. The, the, I, is that a I first? I don't know what to say. It might. It's it's been a very long time since i've won a deep dive trivia and i have have no idea how i did it this is this is shocking to me okay so uh before we actually get into the deep dive we're going to talk a little bit about this movie uh and what it's about and we're going to go into kind of a, a basic review of it first because what makes this movie really interesting like i said this is 15 years old um, and I think we all saw this movie in 2005 for the first time. And, and going back to 2005, um, I'm looking at, at our website, almostsideways.com, where we keep all of our movie reviews and ratings. Um, and this movie, when we initially saw it in 2005, uh, Todd, Adam, and I all gave it three and a half stars, and Zach gave it four stars. It is currently sitting at number six on my top 10 of 2005 um zach gave way too many four stars in 2005 so uh this four star didn't even crack his top 10 but um we all universally loved this movie and i think overall all of us have a have a much less a much smaller opinion of it watching it now 15 years later and so we're going to talk a little bit about that so uh, since I won trivia, I'll go into a little bit about what this is about. Uh, I already mentioned I don't think I've seen this movie since um, since 2005. Um, I, I bar- did not remember much about it. I'd maybe seen it once since then. But this uh, this movie is um, written by Frank Miller based on his graphic novels, uh, directed by Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez with special guest director Quentin Tarantino. Um, and it, it, it tells a story of several characters in what's known as Basin City, uh, nicknamed Sin City, and uh, and goes through all these different characters, all these different kind of side stories. It's very episodic in how it's told. Uh, whether you're you're looking at um, at uh, Bruce Willis as Hardigan and his uh, his quest to be a, a stand-up cop in a crooked town, uh, Marv, who is this uh, played by Mickey Rourke, who is this big just brute of a guy who's um, pegged as an easy target and wrongfully accused of murder and him trying to find who, who did it. 
to uh, to Dwight, played by Clive Owen, and his quest to protect the women he loves and uh, and uh, cover up the crime that has been committed there. Uh, there are a lot of different stories that are told throughout this entire movie, and um, and I, I'll say I remember when I watched it the first time, I was just kind of in awe of the unique style of it and uh all the stories were really intriguing they had me uh they had me riveted and the style just kind of put it over the top um i i'll say i mean the style is still fascinating but so many people do this now or try to emulate what sin city did it was like the first one to do this more stylized filmmaking of of kind of the black and white almost trying to look like a graphic novel or a comic book um so i think some of the some of the novelty of that is worn off a little bit and i think some some parts of the story are definitely uh definitely dated and don't work as well 15 years later um i i was still entertained by it i'm gonna i'll probably drop this down to a three star movie i don't think it's a three and a half star for me anymore um but uh because of just i mean it, there there are certain things that are almost almost cringeworthy in it um but i'm st- I, I was still impressed by the style still impressed me and especially knowing that it was kind of the first to do this um so uh so that's kind of how, how what i'm thinking of this now uh zach i know you were the one last night as you were you know trying to find whatever alcohol you could to get through it um you <laughs> You 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 called us all in a panic of how you were going to talk about this movie. So tell us a, tell us what your experience with it. If you remember anything about what you liked about it when you gave it four stars, and what's different now. Okay, I have a pro tip for you uh, amateurs out there. When you go on a podcast and you're gonna do a deep dive of a movie that you realize that you hate as you're watching it, it's probably a bad idea to start drinking. Because, I mean, there, there may be the temptation there, like there was for me within the first 10 minutes of watching this movie, thinking, oh my god, I don't know if I, if I can do it. But the problem is, once you start drinking, okay, yeah, the movie becomes a little bit more tolerable, maybe, but then um, you forget everything. And then, especially when you have to host trivia and talk coherently about the movie, besides the fact that I just hated it... Um, is uh it, it makes it difficult so i actually had to rewatch a good chunk of it today um so it, that was painful i felt like elaine watching the english patient on seinfeld i had to watch it again i will say upon rewatching it in a more sober state it, it was not quite as bad as i was watching it last night i just maybe i wasn't in the right mood for it i think the key though was i watched it with my wife who had never seen it before and I told her, you, you, you'd probably like this movie, you know, because she likes, like, natural-born killers. She's, she's a really big fan of that movie. And, she, you know, she likes Kill Bill and all that stuff. And she, ha- she like, had a, a viscerally violent reaction against this movie. Like, she thought it was horrible. And she was really, she was, all, like, almost upset at me that I even had the notion to think that she would like the movie. So that certainly, did, that, that certainly amplified my hatred of, of the movie. Um, it didn't really help at all. It did make me come up with some good zingers, though, that maybe I'll splash in in our episode today. But uh, watching it again, it's certainly not a four-star movie. And what's kind of interesting about that is I'm looking at my list right here. I, I didn't give it four stars. I have it as a three-and-a-half-star film. So I don't know where I said I told you that I gave it four stars. 
Um, that's what you gave I, me initially who, when I first put that that rating up. Who so knows? I don't know. It's that's on me. I I, I don't know why I said four stars. Um, <laughs> I, back in two thousand five, children, let me tell you. Okay, I was a senior in high school, and uh, in April of twenty of two thousand five, I can pretty much guarantee you that I was in the enamored honeymoon state of Kill Bill Volume Two. So you know, um, anything that came from Tarantino or came from Rodriguez or looked vaguely like Kill Bill Volume to I was very eagerly anticipating I dare say that I actually saw this I bet I saw this movie opening day when it came out because I remember seeing the trailer for it which I thought looked really cool and still looks cool um, but yes watching it again I will echo what Terry said uh, it does not hold up particularly well and, and we'll talk about why but I will say don't uh, drink and watch bad idea because then you just have to rewatch it again the second time <laughs> I had to do that if we were speed. just doing like a ba- if we were just doing like a basic review, sure you would have been fine. But we're deep diving this. So yes. you yeah. Uh, there's no way we're I could have asked to... any of those questions based on my viewing last <laughs> night. Zero percent. Uh, so what would you give it now? Where does it sit for you now? Uh ask me that after the podcast, man. I don't know. Okay. It's it's okay, hard. Right. I, yeah. I'll give you that. All right, Todd, how about you? Uh, so I didn't even see us in theater. I remember the first time I watched it, I was watching it on DVD later in 2005 with my buddy, and we, we watched the all the way through, and then we immediately started and watched it again, similar to what Terry and I did with Matchstick Men, because there were a couple things that were like, wait a minute, that means that that happened and that happened. Like, we need to see it all again, and we ended up watching the whole thing. I loved it. I, I, I It was probably borderline top 10 for me and uh like uh sin city 2 was probably one of my most anticipated movies of all time like at one point it was supposed to have like angelina jolie in it it was sort of a tortured uh production because they couldn't get everyone back together like they ended up having jeremy piven replace uh uh no uh michael madsen and they had like josh brolin replace clive owen and some other things but uh uh, and, and the second movie was so bad that it almost kind of takes away from how great the first one was and how uh, how di- different it was. Like Terry said, it was the first one that really made it its mission to look like a comic book. I mean, maybe Batman Returns, you could kind of say that, but I mean, this really was sort of the first one that made it a fully realized universe. And uh, I and and watching it, I, I mean, I've seen parts of it since. It's kind of hard to rewatch. Now it's not. It definitely isn't. Uh, it it loses something in the last fifteen years because of uh, it's not as original and as breathtaking as it once was. And I didn't even see it on the big screen, but uh, I think it's still a three and a half star movie. Though it, I I, I still really enjoy watching it. I, I really like like most of the characters and uh, the cast is ridiculous. And what I most appreciate about it is like Rodriguez did everything on this movie. He like he's credited with doing. The visual effects he's credited with doing the sound the score the editing the cinematography uh directing producing and uh i mean i co-writing like i i think that's i don't know anyone else that does that soderbergh doesn't even do that much i mean uh, and uh yeah i i i still appreciate the movie but it's it has lots of stuff well and and like we're saying he was the first to this movie was the first to do this I mean, let's put it as it is I don't know if Zack Snyder has a career if it wasn't for Sin City. Because Zack Snyder has basically just kind of stolen the stylized, you know, colorization and stuff like this. Yeah, Watchmen would have never gotten greenlit 
if it wasn't for Sin City. Or or do you, do you remember the the movie The Spirit? That basically just it like stole everything stylized from well, that Sin was, City. Except wasn't that directed by Frank Miller and written like that was a Frank Miller thing. It might have been. It was bad. That's all I remember. I yeah. actually own that movie, but it's bad. That does and not this, surprise me. Yeah, it, uh, you're missing another thing too, which is that I feel like this movie reinvigorated Mickey Rourke's career and quite possibly led him to uh, his Academy Award nominated and Independent Spirit Award winning performance in The Wrestler three years later. You're absolutely right. This well, this is this the one the thing year, that kind of brought Mickey Rourke back as Domino, right? Like he had those two movies that those were that was his big comeback. Yeah, he he definitely was the main thing that everyone noticed coming out of uh, coming out of this movie. And yes, uh, the spirit was directed by Frank Miller, but it wasn't his comic book that it was based on. But he wrote it. But he wrote it. Oh. It was Will Eisner did the comic for it. Hmm. Anyways, um, but that movie's horrible uh, and doesn't even compare to Sin City. I haven't seen the second one, by the way. But I've heard it's not good. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. I don't know why. Like, uh, like the the first one has this like noirish, uh, the, the narration and stuff. Everything it feels like a, a very futuristic noir kind of thing. But I mean, the second one, I it's just hard to pay attention to. Hmm. But I only watched it once. All right. Well, since we're talking about this, do we want let, to let's kind of skip ahead and talk a little bit about kind of the flaws and we're talking about how does it stand up? Let's talk about that first since we're kind of getting into that already and then we'll go back and get into some of our other our other categories. So, uh, I mean, Zach, you're the one that kind of has had the had a tough time watching it last night. Um, what what are this movie's flaws? What doesn't hold up? Um, I mean, I it it's it's like it's a strange sort of hybrid of a movie that wants to be a very serious polished movie on the one hand but then has these extremely excessively exaggerated parts in both the dialogue and the violence which is just like insanely gratuitous and you can't possibly take seriously like that's obviously like a you know some sort of spin off of like kill bill volume 1 crazy 88 you know, uh, sequence. Um, and so for me, it was really hard to take it seriously because I think like I've read some of the reviews of this movie, like Ebert's four star review, which of course influenced my review, but others who praised the movie and, you know, they, they were pretty serious about this movie and watching it, it, it this movie looked like a, a movie within a movie. Like it looked like a movie that movie care characters in a movie would go see because it just looked that like sloppy and silly and ridiculous. Um, and, uh, I thought particularly, I mean, I'm sure there were people that criticized the, the movie for this at the time, but the, the treatment of the fem the women characters in this movie is just terrible. I mean, they're all excess, extremely one-dimensional, sexualized, they, they have like no agency whatsoever. And I mean, I'm sure that's always been a criticism, but, 
I just feel like I this is a movie that, uh, and you know, maybe no coincidence, produced by Bob and Harvey Weinstein. I did, I don't think you could get away with that kind of stuff in 2020. And I realize that that's a hallmark of a film noir as a genre, which is another thing that I'm responding to. Like I'm not a huge film noir fan. Um, I tend to think it's sort of an overrated, uh, fetishized genre that people in film school love to talk about, but actually try watching them. They're not that really great to watch. I'm also not really a comic book person. So in retrospect, I really don't even know why I responded positively to this movie, because watching it last night, it was really pretty un- un- unwatchable because the, it was so uh, unrealistic in, in every uh, facet. And I would also agree that the green screening stuff is like very passe at this point and and it's lost its novelty i mean you could maybe compare this movie in a sense to like the artist i mean i know both of those movies are black and white and i'm not just saying that because they're black and white but you could maybe see why people at the time were enamored with the artist because it was a throwback to a genre and a style of filmmaking that was quaint but and and and, uh welcomed back but uh you know the, the 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 flame only lasts so long and i i couldn't take this movie seriously at all it was just outrageous and and so ridiculous and yeah 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 i get what you're saying a little bit about some of the some of the violence and and especially i noticed like like the treatment of especially the female characters in there i mean it almost felt like it was going out of its way to try and make some of this stuff happen where in in other movies, I mean, you could even say in like Tarantino movies, like, like you mentioned, like Kill Bill Volume, or even any of the Kill Bill movies. There's a lot of violence in there, but it all kind of has its place and feels much more like it's done in a much more artistic way. Where where in this, it's just like, well, let, we gotta have we gotta have the violence. We have to have this. We have to have this. So let's 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 throw it in there. I, I kind of saw some of that too watching it this. Uh, this last time, um, and I think some of that might simply be uh, the the uh, the sensibilities of a teenager versus a thirty-something-year-old. I mean, I could see as what I mean. What we were, Zach, you were eighteen. Todd was seven, sixteen or seventeen. I was nineteen, probably when this came out, um, and we. You know, our tastes are different at that age than they are now. I don't know if that's so true for me, Terry. I mean, I, I, you're talking to the the 17-year-old who had Vera Drake as his number two film of 2004. Like, yes, th- but you were also you were also the 17-year-old who basically just copied whatever Roger Ebert said about a movie. That's which true. you even like, just admitted. Crash was the best movie of 2005. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a whole other that's a whole other <laughs> podcast deep dive we should get into, but not not today. But I, I see your point, Terry. I, I will say this, though. It's not that I object to the violence. I mean, I don't care. You know, the violence is silly and cartoonish. It, and so for me, it just, it it, uh, it demeans any sort of, like, emotional connection that you have with any of these characters because you can't take any of it remotely seriously. Like, like it, you know, in Kill Bill, it was just the one sequence, and it wasn't even really that excessive. It was kind of more stylized. And maybe that's just, you know, maybe I'm speaking in euphemisms here. But, like, this, this movie is, is like just constant. movie. 
Well, this movie is just constant. Like, like to me, it's like the event. It's like the, it's like bullshit Marvel MCU rules. Like, okay, these characters have limitless superpowers. Like, okay, in the you know in the opening sequence of this movie, Bruce Willis is shot several times, and it doesn't really matter. Like, these characters are are uh, impenetrable. Like, there's you know they they have no like uh, weaknesses or vulnerabilities physically. So, how I don't know how you can take this seriously at all. Well, see, I didn't necessarily mind that. I mean, it's a comic book. Yeah, but it's a graphic it's novel. Still, yeah. so. Well, I, you're not. I don't know the, that. That's the thing. You're not supposed to necessarily take it seriously, but it gives you that that vibe of being a noir and not. I mean, this isn't Machete. It's. I mean, Machete's got way more disgusting violence than this does, but it's done in a way that makes you laugh. And this isn't supposed to make you laugh. And that, I, I guess, that's the problem. It that should line, make you laugh. I know, but I, this should be I, closer to Machete or Grindhouse, and it's not. People took this crap seriously. I don't know why. Like, if this was more of like in the Grindhouse spirit, which maybe is what Rodriguez intended it to be, then I don't know. Maybe it'd be more passable. But well, because this was at a, this was at that time when it was you know Batman Begins and Watchmen and stuff like that. I mean, people were people were taking this more seriously. This was supposed to be a drama. This isn't a comedy. I don't know. I. I don't know, it's funny, you mentioned, like, uh, when Bruce Willis gets shot a bunch of times, like, he's supposed to be, what, in this movie, 68 at the end? Like, he looks still like he's in his 50s, or for, late 40s, maybe. He lo- yeah, he looks exactly the same. <laughs> like, he's supposed to be 60 on his last day on the job, and he's eventually 68, or, at the end, I'm like, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> that, too. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Well, 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 if we're uh, talking about flaws, I mean, we get into other flaws. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get we'll get into the other stuff. I I just what I I find this so fascinating that I mean more than any other movie we've ever done this on, rewatching it has brought about different opinions from the first time we saw it more than anything else. Forrest we've done. Gump is that way too, um, Terry. For I I still I hold by Forrest Gump as a masterpiece. Well, I do. I mean, I if do. you re- re-listen to that podcast, uh, you're the only one. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. I'm the only one. Only one in really America. Care. I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I'll, I'll hold to the fact that uh, that they earned their best adapted screenplay because the book is ridiculous compared to the movie. Um, okay, let's get into some of our uh, our normal shenanigans here as we uh, as we deep dive and dig into into this one of the reasons i was excited to uh to do a deep dive on this is because of the insane cast of characters and we talked about one of the things our last deep dive was requiem for a dream and the problem with requiem for a dream doing a deep dive is you know trying to pick this stuff apart there's only really like six characters in requiem for a dream and so we just kept on talking about the same six actually the same two characters because you can't really make fun of you know the main four characters because they're just too depressing this has a ton of characters played by a huge, huge cast. Like, this is one of the craziest ensembles yeah, of, infinite budget of the casting, 21st century. Uh, this, we don't have to worry about how ridiculous this is. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to like. worry about the infinite budget cast <laughs> when we're recasting this. So let's talk about recasting this movie. Um, so we, we put together some stuff. It's only been 15 years, but I think but a lot has changed. So let's, let's look at this. Um, we're going to start with... Uh, we've got how many do we have here? We've got like eight characters. We're gonna quickly go through and uh, and recast. Um, and I mean, I don't know if you could really say there's a main character, but let's start with uh, with the first main character that we see, and that is depending on where you look, the salesman or the man, the hitman, 
played by Josh Hartnett originally. Um, so uh, I'm going to go first. Um, my recasting. So the thing is, you got to remember in 2005, Josh Hartnett was kind of was kind of like a big deal in 2005. Like he he had the mega hit in Pearl Harbor, the big huge Michael Bay movie. He'd he'd been doing a lot of stuff. He was a he was a very known face, and to throw him in for like a thirty second scene at the beginning and a thirty second scene at the end is kind of insane. So I had to, you have to go with someone that when they walk on screen you go hey, he's in this movie and then he disappears for the rest of the movie and and it's kind of crazy. And yet has that like very distinct look. So I'm going Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson is my man. That, that would Zach, be how cool. about you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I went a similar direction. I said Timothy Chalamet. I think I said in the last podcast too. But I, you know, I, I like the idea of like a teen idol who you see at the very beginning, then you don't see it at all. And uh, certainly playing off the image of like teen idol a little bit. So, I don't know. I didn't really have a good one there, but I went the same direction that you did, essentially, Terry. Okay. Todd, how about you? Yeah, the only one I could possibly think of was Ansel Elgort, because I feel like he is the Josh Hartnett of our generation, or this next, I don't know, if it, if it isn't even another generation, but I, I feel like that's exactly the kind of the kind of uh, career line that he's going on. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, so next character you see is uh, is Hardigan, originally played by Bruce Willis, the uh, the aging police officer trying to trying to do what's right. Um, he might actually be and, the right age for it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was looking I was looking at him, and one of the things I thought about with recasting this character is seeing Bruce Willis as a cop. I mean. You can't see Bruce Willis as a cop and not think John McClane. Like, there is baggage coming into a role like this that has to go through your head. So it had to be uh, an actor that as soon as you see him, you're like, oh, he's not, I'm not looking at Hardigan. I'm looking at all these other characters that kind of play into what he's doing right here, but kind of getting to, getting a little bit, you know, on, on on the older side. Oh, and yet still is kind of this action action star type of guy. I went with Vin Diesel. I think it'd be kind of interesting to see him in in that role. Um, and uh, and and I think I think it would work. I think it would work. I like it. Zach, how about you? Yeah. So uh, I first thought that you know you, uh, you need to be in the right age. Certainly, fifties, not sixties. But you also have to have a good voice. I mean, I think that's true of virtually all the characters that have voiceovers. Um, so at first I was thinking Jonathan Banks, who plays Mike Ehrmantraut on Breaking Bad. He's probably a little old at this point, but maybe... That would be beautiful, you know, though. 15 years ago, though, he probably could have absolutely killed this. Terry, you don't know who Mike Ehrmantraut is yet, but I just, know just who wait. he is. Do you? Okay. I've seen the end of season two of Breaking okay, Bad. Okay, well, well, that's good. He, be, he becomes one of my favorite characters on the show. Um, I decided, though, because... If my overarching criticism of this movie is that it should be a comedy and not at t- taken as seriously as it was, I think we need a little bit more comedy. And going off of a suggestion that Todd had earlier in this podcast, I'm going to audible a little bit. I'm going to cast as my Hardigan none other than Quentin Tarantino because I think he could really bring 
maybe not seriousness to the role, but I mean, you've heard him like, you know, read stuff and you know, he can do the kind of noirist voice. I mean, whether you take it seriously or not is maybe your call, but uh, I'd love to see more acting by Quentin Tarantino. And I think he's in the right age range, right? Yeah. He really gets into his acting too. If you watch that, uh, the documentary full tilt boogie like you see some behind the scenes stuff like he is so into it he thinks he is the best actor in the world and he would live as hardy can that'd be awesome. yeah he that'd would be love to be cast let's just as a favor to tarantino cast him you know he's made so many great movies this is our gift to him okay so since since you brought brought up uh mike airman trout i have to send you guys something that i just saw today on twitter uh, shout out to Matt Neglia, the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, for posting this. Uh, I just sent it to you in the chat, uh, a, a link to his tweet that says that Mike Ehrmantraut's long-lost brother is Rourke Jr. once he's yellow. Um, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so That's so rough. I think it should have popped up on your screen. You should click on it and check it out. It, it's, it's, actually, it's actually pretty pretty good. <laughs> uh i might i might put a link to that in the uh in the notes to this podcast too it's pretty great nice. uh, and it just like it just popped up like i saw it as we were starting this podcast it, it's pretty great okay todd uh, what do you got? so i had a few options i mean i, I think this would be a really entertaining like brad pitt or daniel craig role but the only one I could really take seriously in this role would be Liam Neeson. Like, this is the kind of role he has now. Like, <laughs> he'd be absolutely perfect. Like, you know, a young woman lives, an old man dies, fair trade. Like, that's a total Liam Neeson line. Like, I, I, I couldn't think of any other way that could possibly top that. Can't imagine ever topping that. Exactly. Quoting okay. myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay. Next character that we see that we're recasting is Rourke Jr., uh, who I just mentioned. Um, originally played by Nick Stahl. Uh, just kind of this menacing character that can... that um, just wreaks evil. Um, and, uh... I mean, every movie's better with Will Poulter in it, so I'm going Will <laughs> Poulter. He just has that look, man. The, the one problem with Will Poulter is... Will Poulter's like 6'5". He's way too tall, but it still works. And so I'm going to go... I'm going to go Will Poulter. Alright. Nice. Yeah. My other option was Cameron Monaghan, who's in, like, Shameless, and he was the Joker in the Gotham TV series. He, he has a pretty good look for something like this, too. But I'm going Will Poulter. Zach? All right, uh, I just, uh, I don't, you know, this was a, a str strange casting for Nick Stahl. I guess he pulls it off. I went with Jesse Plemons because no movie is complete without Jesse Plemons. <laughs> Did you know that Jesse uh, Plemons is married to Kristen, Kirsten Dunst? Yeah, they met on Fargo. I didn't realize that until just a couple days wow. ago. I think that's, that's something. I think Jesse Plemons is the love child of Matt Damon and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, yes. he plays Philip Seymour Hoffman's son in The Master, so. Mm -hmm. And he looks and he just, and he looks like the producer at the 2016 Oscars who ran on stage to take the envelope away from uh, <laughs> Warren Beatty. <laughs> uh, 
So are you saying when they make the movie about that Oscar ceremony? Jesse Plemons is going to play him, yes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Todd, who do you got? Uh, I went with Emile Hirsch. I, I feel like they're at a... <laughs> this is like... This is just... Good. This is becoming like every recasting we do. You know, Todd's got Emile Hirsch. I got Jesse Plemons. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... I got Will Poulter. <laughs> I, Emile Hirsch, at, at one time in his career, I thought could do anything. And now he's cast as, like, the side character in, like, all these random movies, like One Spot Time in Hollywood or Milk or whatever. Like, I thought he could do anything. But, I mean, <laughs> whatever. I, I think he'd be awesome as Rourke Jr. Yeah, Nick Stahl was not ideal at the time. Like, I... I mean, what, in the bedroom and bully he was coming up? Like, I mean, what what made you think that he could play that role and make him somewhat believable? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's not bad, though. That's not bad. Okay. Moving on. I believe the next character on here that we meet is Marv. Originally brought to us by Mickey Rourke, like I said. Um... This was kind of a hard one because Mickey Rourke was kind of perfect for this. Um, Because he's just like, he's this huge dude, uglier than ugly, um, but just towers over everybody and just is this imposing character. Um, Initially, I thought someone like John Cena, but John Cena's really short, so he couldn't be that larger than life guy. So I kind of went, you know, we're talking unlimited budget here. This is the type of role he needs. Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson, <laughs> ugly him up. He's a big dude. He he needs a role like this. It's been a while since he's done something out of his out of his box, and he needs something like this. So you got Vin Diesel and The Rock. I do, I do. <laughs> well, if I went John Cena, I mean they 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 like play brothers in the new Fast and the Furious movie. Or I was thinking, I was thinking also like yeah, the only other way you could do this is like go with like J.J. Watt or something like that. But I feel like I cast him in something else already. So <laughs> J.J. Watt's not. But bad. he that I know that's like the third. He was that great he, in the that's league. A good, his comic and, and, and his SNL episode though. was great. His what? His comedy talents would be kind of wasted though. True. True. But his broken nose would fit in. Perfect. Wait, do we have a different uh, writer-director combo that Zach needs in order to make this comedy? <laughs> we looking at Wes Anderson or something, or what? Yes, I'm going to go with Wes Anderson. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but then Bill Murray should have been Hardigan. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and all the narration is done by Alec Baldwin. Of course. <laughs> all right. Uh, Zach, who do you got for Marv? Originally, I went with Jason Momoa for kind of the same reason Terry went with The Rock, but I don't think he's old enough. So I decided instead to go for Fat and Old Russell Crowe. And that's his actual name, Fat and Old Russell Crowe. Very nice. All right. Okay. I actually think this would be a great role for uh, for Bruce Willis at his current time. I think he could easily could slide into that. And I might be stepping on another category, but I think Hardigan and Marv are perfect Nicolas Cage roles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's that's good too. I every, every or, role is a perfect if you could do some, role. Yeah, if you could do some like cool camera tricks um to make him bigger, I could totally totally see Stallone doing Marv right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I yeah, he would 
that that'd be interesting to, to see. I mean, he, like you said, he's really short. He's really short. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, Mickey Rourke isn't as big as they made him out to be in this either. Well, so I, he was a boxer, though, like an actual boxer. Yeah, yeah. But he's not that big. Anyways, okay. Uh, let's see here. Who do we got next? Let's go. Let's go, Shelley. Shelley originally played uh, by the late Brittany Murphy. Um, this, I mean, it just it just takes a pretty face with a with a fast mouth. Uh, I went with Lucy Hale. Um, I think uh, I don't know. It, it's I don't know who that is. It's someone. Um, she's oh, what is she? She's been in some stuff recently. She's kind of an up and comer. What is she? She was in. She I mean, guess the, it's like, gonna be Glee or something. Glee or Band no, of no, Brothers. No, no, no. She was. She was in. Uh, she <laughs> yeah, was in, she was in Band of Brothers. <laughs> she was in Band of Brothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she was Pretty 12. Little Liars. Okay, um, got it. Pretty Little Liars. She was in. Uh, oh, Truth or Dare. She was in. Uh, she was in the new Fantasy Island movie um, from Blumhouse. Um, she's an up and coming actress. Uh, so yeah, that's why I went with. All right. She was in Scream 4, apparently. Sister of the Traveling Pants 2, I guess. Whoa, who'd she play in... Okay, tell us more. Who'd she play in? Sisterhood 2. She played Effie. Alright, Todd. Do you know who Effie is in that movie? (laughs) I've only seen the second one once. (laughs) By the way, halfway through this podcast, or uh, watching the movie last night, I was suggesting to movies to Todd movies we should have been doing instead of this and I put Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants because Alexis Bledel was on the screen there you go that that is something only you would say when you've had a wee too many martinis <laughs> oh I think she's oh Tibby's little sister okay that makes sense <laughs> we could totally deep dive the first one if you want <laughs> I've never seen Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Either of them. Wow. Yeah. All right, Zach. Who do you have? Who do you have for uh, for Shelley? This was my the one I'm proudest of. Um, I went with Lady Gaga. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? that? You're not gonna get better that's than that. Good. Dang it. Well, for Shelley, like I, I feel like people who have a very distinct voice have a advantage over everybody else like britney murphy is kind of irreplaceable i went with julia fox from uncut gems i i, I, I oh, okay i i don't know i mean uh she she's similar has a very distinct style to her and i i mean it's it's a role that should be a throwaway role but it's not because it's britney murphy and i feel like she can make it that i can dig that all right uh next let's go let's go with dwight next uh, Dwight originally played by Clive Owen, um, and then Josh I realized Brolin. watching this, and then apparently Josh Brolin. Uh, I realized watching this just how much of a Clive Owen fan I am. I love that guy, and I'm still, I am still mad. I mean, Daniel Craig's great. Clive Owen should have been James Bond. I mean, come on, he was like the perfect like prototype of if you were to design James Bond in a lab, it would look like well, it looked like Pierce Brosnan, but the next one would be Clive Owen. Uh, so that, yeah. But anyways, so I'm pretty proud of this pick. I think this is a good Dwight. Uh, Oscar Isaac would be, would be the new Dwight. Similar yeah, look. I can kind see of a, that. It's the same feel. 
I'm going Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Also a pretty popular name on all of our recasting. Well, I mean, That's yeah. That's because his nationality is ambiguous. It really is. All right, Zach, how about you? All right, well, I really wanted to go with Rain Wilson, but I can't quite. <laughs> I can't, I've already have Tarantino, so I can't make this too much more of a gimmick. Uh, I decided instead to go with Eric Bana. Okay. I, the, I mean, he's... You know, a little older, suave. Yeah. And uh, vaguely foreign. Okay, okay. Has he been in anything since, like, funny no, him, people? Him and Mackay Pfeiffer, I think, retired from acting. So <laughs> That's true. They're somewhere together in an island. Oh, man. I'm not going to live that one down. Oh, that's right. Dennis Hayford <laughs> replaced Michael Clark Duncan in the sequel, too. Oh, wow. Because I think he had died at that that's... point. I don't know. Probably. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Eric Bana has yeah not done really he was in king arthur legend of the legend of the sword oh adam loved that movie gave it like three and a half stars (laughs) it was deep i think i gave it two and a half it was okay um he was in lone survivor oh that's right he was like the main commander at the base yeah that movie yeah he was in a show called dirty john i don't know what that is um isn't that like not that's someone that's like uh Courtney Cox or something? I don't know. He was in uh he was in Hannah, the uh the Joe Wright movie with Sir Ronan. When Sir Ronan was, was like, like ten. That's how that's how old yeah. uh, that's how old he is and irrelevant. All this that, is his comeback. Uh, and he was role. in and he was in Time Traveler's Wife. All that was since Funny People. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and, th- it would and be right a... before Funny People he was in Star Trek. Hmm. Well, Mike Dwight Who's was Robert guy? Pattinson. Uh, Terry already mentioned no. him for another role. I I think he'd be really fun in that role, but I I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think I think he'd be better as a uh, as the man. Yeah, he I okay. mean, he could fit as probably three or four characters in this actually. Jackie boy. Uh, this was tough. So, I mean, because it's Benicio del Toro. But it looks nothing like Benicio del Toro, but also he just kind of has this aura to him. So it had to be someone with a distinct look and just kind of has this presence on screen. I, I don't really like this, but it's the best I could come up with. I went with Killian Murphy. Um, it feels like Killian Murphy should have been in this movie in 2005. <laughs> yeah, he probably could have been. Well, because what, a year later he was he was the Scarecrow in Batman Begins? His thing is the same year. Yeah, this, this was, was his a, breakout oh, yeah, here. Pete Killian Murphy right here. Yeah. Red Eye. But he but he wouldn't Red have been eye, he wouldn't right. have been Jackie Breakfast Boy. On he would Pluto. have been He would have been he could have been like the salesman or he could have been like Dwight, but now he's 15 years older, he would fit into something like Jackie Boy. He would have been a great Rourke Jr. He would have been a psycho Rourke Jr. Or he would have made a great uh, at that Elijah time, Wood yeah. character, whoever that Kevin Kevin. Oh, I've got I've got the perfect Kevin. I've got a perfect Kevin. Oh, I did not cast Kevin. I didn't cast Kevin I, either. I, I didn't either, but I decided to simply because I came up with the perfect one. Should I just say it now? Nathan Gamble. The the perfect the the perfect Kevin, Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's got he's the glasses. Old now. Not not that old, and it's it's still the same thing. It's breaking that uh, 
breaking that whole vibe, it it perfect. It'd be perfect. All right. Anyways. I, 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 I could take it though. Zach, who's your Jackie boy? Uh, my Jackie boy. Uh, I'm not totally proud of this, but you're looking for someone distinctive. I went with none other than Joe Exotic, aka Tiger King. <laughs> because you want him to look like a Pez dispenser. Yeah, this is assuming that Tiger King is not in jail and can go uh, on set to film. But hey, if all you need is a green screen, then you could do it from the jail. So let's let's be honest. As a solid, oh, gosh, solid choice. <laughs> uh, Todd, who do you have? Uh, I went Johnny Depp. I, I feel like it's really similar to Benicio del Toro, I, and I, I feel like those lines are a little more comic than Benicio has normally. I. I feel like Johnny Depp could easily uh, like w- do the do the scene with a uh, with Clive Owen in the car. I feel like that's a totally Johnny Depp kind of scene. That's a cop I, out. Plus, he never he, that, he doesn't do yeah. anything anymore. That'd be a comeback role of sorts. He hasn't done anything since like the last Pirates movie, like five years ago. Nah, he 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 did the the Fantastic Beast movie. He was Grindelwald. Is that was that a thing? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Fantastic Beasts: The Crimes of Grindelwald. It was just a couple years ago. My my backup for for uh, Jackie Boy was Jake Gyllenhaal. By the way, I was trying to fit Gyllenhaal into this movie somewhere, but I I couldn't. Yeah. I, he's too young to play Hardigan, but that'd be a great Hardigan role la- la- later. Yeah, I, I was actually just thinking Sales, when, after a good salesman too. Yeah, after I mentioned Stallone, I was thinking this would be a really interesting movie. To say, what would this cast look like in like the late seventies or early eighties? Like, if if this movie were to come out then, what would the cast be? This would be a cool movie to do that with. I mean, we're not gonna do it now, but it would have been a good one. Well, we Anyways, have Rucker Howard right. in the movie, so I mean, hey, that's that, that's true. That's true. But like, like, yeah, like I could see. Couldn't you see like uh like Pacino being like Dwight or something like that? Yeah, and, and De Niro, Jackie Boy, or something. Schwarzenegger as Marv. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Anyways, Nancy, originally Jessica Alba. Um, I'm, I'm of all my picks, this is the one I'm most proud of, because this is a this is an interesting one where you got to find someone who I mean has the looks, has the body to pull off what what um what Nancy is, but also has that innocent face, um. Because that that that's really what Nancy she's got that innocence to her, but also she's you know she's dancing in the club. Uh, so my pick is Haley Steinfeld. It's like perfect. It's perfect. Okay, that that's like my Abigail Breslin as Jennifer Connelly in Wreck for a Dream kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but Haley Steinfeld actually, you know, I mean, she actually she's got the she's got the look. She does, and and uh, yeah, yep, that's what I'm going with. Zach, how about you? I had a real hard time with this one. I knew that uh, young Nancy would have to be played by McKenna Grace because she's the little girl in every movie now. You know, she was young Captain Marvel, young whatever, young Tanya Harding. I had a hard time coming up with adult uh, Nancy, though, because, I mean, you just need raw sex appeal. That was really, I thought, the only distinguishing feature. So well, I she guess was a major I would... star in 2005. That's the thing. I I guess... I went with Emily Ratajkowski, even though she's probably too old for the role at this point. But, uh, hey, you know what? If she's got to get on a stripper pole, you know, I think you'd probably sell some tickets. 
Uh, yeah, that's not bad. That's well, not bad. I know. She's supposed <laughs> to be like 19 or something. I went with Margaret Qualley, who's uh, one, one of the girls in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the one that Brad Pitt takes to the spawn ranch. It, it, it's a yeah. It, it's not an easy role to to choose. I, I feel like it, I don't know what what it is about Jessica Alba. She seems like she was born to play that role, and I don't know why. <laughs> but Margaret Qualley is close I can come up with. It's not a good pick. I don't think there is a good pick. I think Jessica Alba probably still could play the role. Except I don't know if Jessica Alba could pull off nineteen anymore. But uh... yeah, well yeah, it's yeah. Good. I, I, I'm, I'm liking Haley Steinfeld still. I, th- I think that's... That's probably the best of, of our three options. Yeah. Congratulations, Terry. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Uh, let's keep going. Highest war performance. Uh, most irreplaceable in, in the cast. Uh, Zach, I'm going to you first. Highest war performance? Yep. Um, well, originally I wanted to go with Mickey Rourke because this was his comeback movie, and when I think of this movie, I, I think of Mickey Rourke. However, I can't quite go with him as the highest war because basically he's doing the exact same performance as Ron Perlman in uh, uh, Hellboy, which came out a year before this movie. So that sort of disqualified it for me. Um, I think we're going to have to go with uh, Jessica Alba, and for all the reasons we've mentioned already, the best p- part of the movie. <laughs> that's hard to argue with um yeah i had i had three names written down here one of them was jessica alba um one of them was mickey rourke i'll go with the other one i had written down um just simply because it's great to see him in anything and that's michael madsen as hardigan's partner um no one can play dirty cop quite like michael madsen um and this is coming off of him him being a uh, bud uh in uh in kill bill uh it was perfect it was perfect yeah casting. jeremy piven as that part was not was not great <laughs> <laughs> todd who do you got i i mean the only name i i wrote down was mickey rourke i i, I don't know anyone that has that the that physicality i mean he's a machine in the movie you know i i i, I think he's amazing and i think he probably should have been nominated for best sporting actor i, I can't like I came up, I, I thought Nicolas Cage probably could play it, but I mean, Mickey Rourke was, I mean, that is a Mickey Rourke role through and through. But it's Hellboy. It's the same, it's the same character as Hellboy. Yeah, but Hellboy is garbage. <laughs> I, I, I see both of your points. Uh, Todd, who's the worst performance in this? I went with Jamie King, because I feel like she's the only, like, anonymous person in the cast, and her part really isn't that difficult, but it, it's supposed to kind of be important because she has two roles and I don't know it, it's a weird choice to have something that pivotal be someone who doesn't really know what she's doing I, I mean why not cast like any of the people that were like the old town girls as that role that would have been way better than this person that I've never seen before and I don't think she really knows how to act Zach how about you my worst performance was uh, um, excuse me Alexis Bledel as uh, Becky because I think with all these other characters, I mean, I, this, <clears throat> for all we know, this was the intention of Robert Rodriguez with the Becky character to make her seem out of place because she doesn't really belong in this world. But that's also a problem for the movie. She does not belong in this world. She's like, you know, a spoiled teenager who's calling her mom on her cell phone. First of all, cell phones should not be in this world. Okay, let's, let's get real. This is the world of <laughs> film noir and she's on her cell phone. It's just like... You know, if we're really going to be, if, if you want to be a purist and, you know, worship uh, film noir, she just kind of takes you out of the element and reminds you, oh, yes, this is the early 2000s. 
Yeah, that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, she just didn't fit. Um, my kind of my worst performance. I know it's kind of the point, but it's still a bad performance. Maybe maybe it's just yeah. a bad character, but I think that she is like is just typecast as that kind of role, and that I don't know. Probably. I mean, look, you can either you could give a lot of people either great the best performances or worth everyone either gives a great performance or a terrible performance in this movie I, depending on how you watch it when i watched it last night they were all giving terrible performances so you know pick any of them except just calva you're here so my my worst performance uh you guys are probably gonna hate this but my worst performance is uh britney murphy as shelly i thought she was annoying and really just kind of looked like she was reading her lines and really had one note in every line that she read and it was yeah i didn't like it shame on you yeah i know i know you damn fool (laughs) okay uh favorite minor character i gotta go first on this one because this was like my favorite one and the one i was looking forward to talking about the most uh, because my favorite, I've got two for my favorite minor characters, and they are the characters of Clump and Schlub, played by uh, played by Rick Gomez and Nick Offerman, because Nick Offerman is apparently in this movie. Um, but really, the reason why I'm going with them is, so these characters pop up twice. They pop up at the beginning and are killed by Marv. And they pop up later on and are, um, and Hardigan kind of attacks them. But the first moment that that they're they're not even on screen yet. But the but as soon as you start hearing the character of uh, oh I forget his name again already. The, what is his name? Clump. As soon as you hear Clump start talking, all of a sudden I said in my head, "Wait, George Luz is in this movie because it's George Luz, yeah, I that and he's in this movie." Yeah, and as soon as he starts talking, I'm like it's George Luz from Band of Brothers, and it just made me happy. And what the hell is going on with Nick Offerman in this movie? I mean, the one time they actually show him clearly on screen, you go, whoa, what? What is going on? So, um, yeah, Clump and Schlub, they're my favorite minor characters. I actually watched a movie with uh, Leave God in it this morning, so that's funny. Oh, really? Nice, nice. We got, all right, next time I win trivia and I have to assign something for Zach to watch, he's watching the first two episodes of Band of Brothers. Curie? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, all right. I was I was thinking about this. I was this is completely off topic, but I was thinking about this today, Todd. If I were to rank the episodes of Band of Brothers, the, the this is how I would go. I would go one, seven, two, ten, nine, six, five, three, four. I don't even know. I couldn't go that in depth. Oh, man. I don't know which no. one Bastone is that seven? That's six. That's six. Turning point. Foy is a is a seven. What about the the new the one that follows Lipton? That's like four. That that's eh. I think I think that's I think how I your boy right? Last. Colin Hanks. No, he's in he's in uh, eight. Oh, I didn't even say eight. Where's eight fit in there? Crap! I gotta go, I gotta rethink this whole thing now. <laughs> Dang it! Okay. <laughs> All right, Todd. Well, it, it, it's it's funny that that conversation parallels a conversation I've had with Todd, where I rank the best films of the Decalogue, and so I would rank the best films of the Decalogue one six five two nine three seven four ten and eight. 
So I if you're remember, gonna I remember the... I really disagreed with you when you said that. I like my, I think my favorite one was like your like sixth or seventh favorite or something. I Maybe remember. I know you like eight. Eight's the only one I don't really like that much. So Terry, if you assign me Band of Brothers, that means I have to sign you the Decalogue, right? Ten well, episodes. If I can find it. I mean, Band of Brothers is easy to find in in quarantine because it's it's streaming on HBO. But um, if I can find the Decalogue, I'll watch well, it. Well, the Criterion but... released Decalogue. I'm sure it's on the Criterion channel. That's true. I just have to get the Criterion channel. But the first two episodes of Band of Brothers are two of the like three or four best episodes of the whole show. So that's one thing that it has going for it. Okay, let's get back to Sin City. <laughs> Todd, <laughs> who are your favorite minor characters? Uh, so I had two. One of them was the, the obvious one for me, which is Nikki Cat as Stuka. Because he gets, like, shot from, like, I don't know, it's, like, a building across or something, and he just, like, looks around. It got shot, like, right through the heart, and he's like, wait, should I, like, go to the hospital or something? And then he's like, he's like, wait, and everyone, like, walks away, and then he gets shot again in the head. And I was like, I didn't even know that was Nikki Cat until recently. Uh, so that was why I thought of him. But my, my main one is Carla Gugino, because, I mean, it's Carla Gugino, and she is, like, smoking hot. And like I said, she's in Saved by the Bell. And, uh... But, uh, like, she, she has this part where it's, like, she knows that Marv is going to screw everything up because he's an idiot. And so she knocks him out from behind. I mean, that's the only time that Marv really has got somebody, like, I mean, Kevin sneaks up on him, sure. But, like, she actually was able to knock him out, like, right before he was about to go screw it up and go, like, try to slaughter some cops. Right? So, I mean, Carla Gugino as Lucille is my favorite minor character. This might be the most predictable category so far. I mean... You, mu- Todd, you had to know I was going to mention that 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 George Lez was yeah. in this, and then and of course your favorite minor characters were going to be Carla Gugino and Nikki Cat. I mean that that was yeah. like as predictable as you could possibly get. You're welcome. Um, yeah, yeah. So so Zach, talk about Brittany Murphy. No, no, she was not my favorite minor character. My favorite minor characters are Michael Madsen and Clark Middleton as shoots because they were both in Kill Bill Volume Two as Bud and Ernie. So it kind of was like when, when, especially when um, uh, Clark Middleton, the short actor, shows up midway through this movie. I'm like, and you know, am I dreaming? Is this is this real? Like, like Bud's friend from Kill Bill Volume Two is in the movie, the one that says, "This is what white women call the silent treatment." We make him think we don't like it. And, yeah, I love that character. It reminded me, like, I wish I was watching Kill Bill Volume 2 and not this shit. <laughs> uh, and no, they were not in Band of Brothers. At least I don't think. Was Carlo Gugino no. in Band of Brothers? No. Okay. No. I think we have to ask now. that every time we mention an actor. Is, is there, like, I think there's one woman in, like, all of Band of Brothers. No, there's more than one woman. There's one woman that actually has a meaningful role in Band of Brothers. It's like the 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 nurse in Bastone, right? Does that sound right, Todd? Mm, yeah, probably. I don't know. Well, no, probably. I mean, well, no. Don't they all? They all end up in the, some city where they're all like with a bunch of women, right? I uh, maybe. I don't know. Okay. Not 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 significant enough. The only like significant like there's an episode about a woman is the Bastone one with with Doc Rowe and the the nurse from Bastone. Okay, that's enough Band of Brothers. We're gonna have to deep dive Band of Brothers one of these times. Make Zach watch it. All right, Zach, biggest stick man. Or well, yeah. Well, this this is a competitive category. 
lot of competition um, in this one. I guess I would have to go with Clive Owen as Dwight, Dwight McCarthy, because at the beginning of his story, he is somehow dating Shelley, and he flirts with the Miho character quite a bit, and then ends up with Rosario Dawson at the end, who he calls his Valkyrie, which I think is very similar. It reminded me of John Milius's commentary on Conan the Barbarian, when he calls all the women in his cast Valkyries. That's a great YouTube clip, if you've never seen it, by the way. John Milius and Arnold Schwarzenegger's commentary on Conan the Barbarian. I'm sorry for that Ben Brown-like digression, but um, it just reminded me of that. So yes, my, my, my choice is Dwight. We just spent the last 10 minutes talking about Banner Brothers and the Decalogue. That's okay that you just went into Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> the DVD commentary on it, not the movie. Yeah, but, but I mean, we get that like every other podcast where it's Zach's like, if you haven't seen that YouTube clip of, you know, somebody on, you know, Johnny Carson's show, you got to watch it. That was amazing. <laughs> this is the most random podcast we've ever had. I love it. Uh, I think Dwight's really the only answer here. That's who I got to. How about you, Todd? Really? Well, I, I think obviously Marv Marv is a pretty decent stick man. Obviously, he slept with his shrink and uh, and uh, his and uh, officer. Goldie. Yeah, I mean, and uh, and the man, like the salesman, you know, Josh Hartnett. Like, he doesn't get in those situations where he can just randomly kill women unless he's like obviously like really sly and like getting in their pants. I mean, th- those are two real easy answers too. It sounded like you said Marv slept with the man for a second there. But I don't I think that's the... what you meant. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Well, I guess I did sort of, <laughs> sort of rattle those off pretty pretty uh, quickly, so I don't know. Whatever. I, I, just went through a, I just went through a slight digression in my head. Another great heart again would be Tim- Timothy Oliphant. I was thinking Timothy Oliphant for Dwight. Yeah, I, that's what I would think, too. He's a little too old to be Dwight. Now. Hardigan's 60. Look. And 68. Yeah. And he yeah. suffers from angina. Like, Hardigan is like Pacino now. If, if, if that was, like, realistic casting. I mean, come on. Maybe that... So it, it, yeah, so so here, here's the digression I went, I went through. The man is a hitman, and so I thought about the hitman video games, and when they... And uh, Timothy Oliphant played hitman when they made the movie version of that video game, so... Anyways. Unbelievable. I know, I know. All right. Uh, Todd... Douchebag. The biggest Not that you are one, but who's the best, well, yeah. biggest one in the movie? Yeah. Yeah, good point. Um, <laughs> the biggest douchebag is Bob. Michael Madsen. I mean, he does not say a single sincere word in the whole movie. He shoots his partner in the back just because he's got some, like, shady deals with, uh, you know, Rourke Jr. He, he's, I, uh, I can't see that guy being anything but a douchebag in any part of his life. That's a good call. That's a good call. I'm gonna go with uh, with Rucker Hauer as Cardinal Rourke. I mean, well, yeah, yeah. I mean that that's a man of the cloth being wrapped up in stuff like that. That's about as bad as you get. So he's a cannibal yeah. with a like a hitman cannibal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. All 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 things bad. All of it is just bad. All right, Zach. Uh, I don't know. They're all douchebags. I guess I would maybe go with... <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I, I would maybe go... 
go with the judge played by Christina Frankenfeld because she looks very aggressive when she sends, uh, is it Hardigan or Marv? When she sends one of them to jail. I don't know. I don't care. Move on. <laughs> Hard, she sends Hardigan uh, all to right. jail. We, we already talked about this a little Marv bit. she sent Marv to jail. But, uh, okay. Oh no! Yeah, no. I guess it was. I guess it was. Marv goes hard again. M- Marv goes to. Marv de- never went to. He goes. He gets sentenced to death, but like Harding goes to jail. Yeah, yeah. But then that's. I don't know. Uh, who cares? Okay, we got to move yeah. on. <laughs> who would Nicholas Cage play? I said. I, I said he'd be a great Hardigan or Marv. Those, those are the ones I had. Now, yes. However, like, at the time, how was he? Would have been a great Dwight. Or Jackie Boy. Like, he could have been either of those two and done a really good job in it 15 years ago. Yeah, if you're going to have a character whose head is decapitated and continues to talk, (laughs) I think that just screams Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Uh, Yet it makes perfect sense that it's Benicio Del Toro for some reason. That's true, yeah. Nicolas Cage (laughs) or Benicio Del Toro, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Or Tiger King. Okay. Uh, do we have any uh, any conspiracy theories? So the reason why I watched the movie again the second time is because we realized by the end of the movie that after Nancy goes through all this with Hardigan and Hardigan shoots himself, that she actually goes back to still being a stripper at that bar. I mean, I, I feel like after that, it's like at the end of Saving Private Ryan where he's like, earn this, like, you know, like, you're not going to go, like, you're going to live a better life. Like, she, I, I don't know. I mean, this old man just, like, risked his whole life for you when he only had met you, like, one time in the past. Like, I, I don't know. She, she's going to go back to just, like, you know, taxi dancing or whatever. You know, I, I don't know. Like, it, I, I feel like that is a really, <laughs> yeah, a really I weird love that point, reference to League of Their Own. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was the best poll you've had all day, Todd. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't that, that just never sat well with me that, that, that like after all that I mean and, and unless you piece the things together chronologically you're not going to really realize that she goes back to dance at that thing because Marv was not beat up when Hardigan showed up there when when she was there and, he, and then they met you know it's I don't know <laughs> I don't know if that's conspiracy theory or just like some or some random tangent but I don't know <laughs> no that's that's good but man that was Man, now I, I I went from from thinking about you know about how this whole thing is just like comic book version of Saving Private Ryan to now to now I'm I'm picturing how Madonna could fit into this cast somewhere after you reference a League of Their Own. I mean, dude, that's what I'm here for. That that was that I I I yeah wow okay I don't have anything that could rival that Zach. Do you have anything? Um, I don't know if these are flaws or conspiracy theories or just random points I wanted to make, but I'll just say them. Um, uh, Hardigan's gunshot wounds look like bird shit. Um, <laughs> that's what I thought watching it. I also thought that Marvin Goldie were laying on a bed that looked conspicuously like a box of chocolates. That, like I, I, I wanted to open it up. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty awesome. I, I, I mean, I also think that, you know, Dwight's shoes are pretty stupid. 
Yeah. Yeah, why do they highlight yeah. his Converse the red, All-Stars? The red Converse. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. They're, 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 you know what? They're, well, he is able to jump out of the building, so I think they're PF Flyers. Yeah. That, that could, I, that I think could that's what it is. That would be the right time frame right there. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Maybe all right. There, there we go. After, after the, after Benny the Jet retires from the from the Dodgers, he goes to Sin City and uh, changes his name to uh, to Dwight McCarthy, and uh, yeah, protects the strippers of the land. <laughs> also, don't try to tell me that Miho's stars don't look, you know, um, don't look like swastikas. Like oh, they, yeah, they are. Oh, they are. Oh, that was like meant to be. I, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it looks. Yeah, the the totally is. Yes. Which doesn't make any sense. Stuka has a bunch of swastikas too. He gets is shot she, through one of them. So I was going to say he that Mi, Miho may be a werewolf woman of the SS. <laughs> well, that, oh, that, there we go. Now we're talking. I also like how okay. how Marv wouldn't shoot the dog. I, I feel like that's. I, I feel like that was probably Mickey Rourke's thing. He's like, I won't play this character if oh, I have to yeah. shoot the dog. Of, he punches because of Loki. Yeah, Loki, his dog that he yeah, he that's exactly eulogized. what I thought. <laughs> I wonder if that was Loki. Oh, I I, I bet that he conspiracy could act. theory. Did you ever got the guys ever find out or find it weird that this movie had no swearing in it? I, I feel like that's that's odd because it's so graphically R-rated and has zero cuss words. I didn't notice that. I hadn't noticed it before you just mentioned it, but yeah, you're right. Like, I, I think, I think, like, Goddamn is, like, as as deep as it gets. It's like it was trying to be on, like, the USA Network or something, but it's like, obviously, he's got a guy ripping out his balls. I mean, I mean, there's no, there's no way that's ever getting PG-13. So that must have just been a compromise between Robert Rodriguez and the MPAA. The MPAA saying, yeah, you can have all this violence, but no swearing. Or maybe that was a Frank Miller thing where he's like, you know, I don't want you to make my comic book sleazy or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, then he picked the wrong movie. Jeez. <laughs> but it has no swearing, and Tarantino was involved in the movie. I don't know. It, that's always been something that I thought was really odd. That that is that's a that's a great call there. I hadn't. Even maybe it's just that something to right. make it easier to play on TV because then all you have to do is cut like visuals and not have to re-edit uh, things verbally. I don't know. Was this ever on like even basic cable though? I don't even. I don't remember. I think it, it had to run on TBS. Probably. I really. All right. So. Two thousand eight. I really would. I really wish this was my last comment. I really wish that I could have been a fly on the wall or sat in on Lucille's girlfriend's therapy sessions with Marv. She tried to analyze me once, but she got too scared. <laughs> like maybe it's like a Dr. Malfi Tony Soprano type relationship. I would have loved to have seen that. Apparently he does need psychiatric help though. Because he is like schizophrenic or something. Well, yeah, he has that he, he says uh he, well, he, I mean, he obviously realizes that he's got to screw loose. He's like, uh, just like that, a whopper of a puzzle piece smack in my lap, and I'm too dumb to put the whole picture together yet, but... <laughs> and then he keeps on talking. It's like, well, yeah, he's totally self-aware. It's a complete, like, nutcase. Oh, no, I forgot to take my medicine as he just downs the entire bottle. <laughs> <laughs> mm. he, take, he take That bottle is his dose. 
All right, my conspiracy theory is uh, is Michael Clark Duncan got his role as Minute after Minute Bull turned it down. Hmm. <laughs> that, I mean, that's an interesting call. Is he even alive? <laughs> no, he's not alive, but I think he was alive then. Are you Died sure? in 2010. Oh, there we so go. He's... There we go. Died in 2010. Did Bull Bull even play this year? I don't think so. I don't think Bull Bull played. Bull Bull is one of the few people who have who has lived in both Kansas and Oregon, along with me. We share that in common. And Sudan. Oh, I I haven't <laughs> lived in Sudan. <laughs> uh, okay, let's let's wrap this up. <laughs> Uh, LVP, MVP. I'll go. LVP. Uh, I'm gonna say the LVP is the uh, is the writing of the inner monologues. Um, it's just bad. It's just bad inner monologue writing. That's that narration. It's just so cheesy. That's some cheesiest, corniest part of this whole thing. Is whatever anyone's thinking to themselves. So that's my LVP. Zach, how about you? Yeah, my LVP is the wine I drank last night because it really messed me up. <laughs> I mean, I'm still recovering from it. I don't know what that was. I, I went on a 20-mile bike ride yesterday. And that probably did it. Um, so, yeah, that was not good. <laughs> uh, Todd? Uh, I, I don't know. I There's a few, I guess, I could say... I don't know. I, I guess I, I go with Nick Stahl because I, I, I feel like he, he does not belong in this movie. Like th- That should have been a way more up-and-coming actor at the time. and uh, I, I don't think he leaves an impact. Emil Hirsch. Yeah. Well, I mean, Emil Hirsch, honestly, at the time would have been a decent choice, but he would have been maybe a tad young, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'll go with Nick Stahl. Alright. Uh, Todd, MVP. Uh, my MVP is Frank Miller, because I feel like the next movie that uh, they tried to make of a Frank Miller movie, we saw what the lack of impact of a, of his involvement in the movie looks like, and that is 300, which is one of the worst movies of the 2000s, and I, I think it's awesome. He's also in Sin City, and I think Sin City still really looks really cool, and I feel like this is something he wanted to do because he was involved as a director and a producer and a writer, and I, I, I feel like uh, 300 was the, the uh, anti-Sin City in a lot of ways. All right. Zach? My MVP is the wind machine operator in Jessica Alba's scenes because that guy had to work... <laughs> serious overtime yeah. and that gets strenuous on your arm muscles you know holding it up on the stage like that it's, it's impressive or you just work. had a stand for it have you seen robert rodriguez <laughs> he, he's he's pretty he's pretty ripped he might have been the actual wind operator since apparently he did everything else yeah it's true i'm just wondering i mean it's a robert rodriguez movie where's danny trejo in this i mean missed opportunity right yeah, he was in the Spy Kids movies at the time with Rodriguez. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my my MVP is Miho, because honestly, I mean, how many lives did she save? Like at the last minute, like like there's no way Dwight is able to do anything if Miho wasn't around. Like Miho bails out everybody in so many different ways, and she's she is is the 
the really the coolest character of them all. So, Miho's my MVP. Wasn't she in like one of the Fast and Furious movies? Yeah, I think you're right. I think she was in Tokyo Drift, wasn't she? No, she was in two. Yeah, two Fast right. and Furious. She was like Ludacris's girlfriend or something. Sookie, she was Sookie in Too Fast, Too Furious. She was. The, she's one of the drivers. Oh, pretty sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good choice. All right, let's wrap this up. Quote of the day. I won trivia, so I'm going first. Uh, to show just how how awkward the um, the the inner monologue is, I have a quote here from Hardigan's inner monologue. It comes near the end. Um, and he says, when it comes to reassuring a traumatized 19-year-old, I'm about as expert as a palsy victim doing brain surgery with a pipe wrench. It's like, what? <laughs> like, that was the one line of dialogue. I went, wait, what did you just say? <laughs> that, is, that, yeah. that, is, that is just so over-the-top weird trying to be artistic. That just shows. Well, yeah, that, that was that actually was, my quote that, that I had written down too, because <laughs> I, I feel like I did this with a record for a dream too. With I mean, I feel like the writers have this like list of things that they want to like these, you know, uh, comparisons they want to make, and I feel like that's one of them. I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> that was my quote. I mean, it, it's kind of like it, it, I I will compare this quote to my Rocket Man quote I had from the other from the other week. Yeah, um, that's true. And yeah, the sister's monkey coming out of a her Brazilian or tennis racket coming out of her Brazilian monkey or whatever it was. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Just come up with a list of all the crazy crap that you want to say and say it all on one line. Zach, what do you got? Okay, my line of the day is not that line. Um, it's uh, <laughs> it comes from Dwight, and uh, I think he's talking about the rosario dawson character when he says the only line of this movie that made me smile at all which was your mother Teresa, your elvis your god that was very nice that, that was kind of smile. funny it made me smile <laughs> all right okay all right. And MVP that is, there you go there you go and that is uh that is our mv or our MV, our deep dive of uh <laughs> Of Sin City, Zach, you made it. Oh my you god! You made it to the I can't end. believe I can't believe we did it. I I have a lot of people to thank. I'd like to thank, you know, the alcohol. I'd like to thank Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, just Starbucks. Starbucks. That LA City the bus funny driver. Part, the funny part is you needed the alcohol to make it through the movie, yet you did the deep dive without it. Yeah. I don't I mean, know. That's what that just says. backwards, man. It's a little bad. You should have yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But you made it. You made it. And we did it. So there's our deep dive of Sin City. Well done, guys. Uh, we will be back next week with a regular episode. We'll be reviewing something, uh, doing a new power ranking, doing a new Mount Rushmore. Look for that to come out next week. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.